and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Formula One's over. When? But the good news is as we record this today, there are less than 100 days till the start of the 2020 Formula One season. Because there's like 99 days? N- well, it, it's over 90 days, but I think it's even, it's probably like 96 or 97 days, I think is where we're at. I don't have the official count, but I did see it earlier this week. We hit the 100 day mark. Wow. So we need to get our tote board going so that we know exactly how many days till Australia. Oh, I, th- I thought it was going to be 3,485,982 days without a velociraptor attack. <laughs> it has been a few <laughs> since we've been attacked by velociraptors. We're, we're going to keep however, that streak going. It's, however, been less than a day since our last injury. So OSHA is very concerned. Well, Okay, there's that. But hey, at least we were not trying to move a refrigerator off of a second floor balcony onto the back of a truck. Uh, true. Box truck. Yes. To the roof of the box truck. We can't tell that story. We've been asked not to. Um, <laughs> but per- you sort of already did. Yeah. But let's just say if you happen to need a fridge moved to a second floor and you buy it from some stores, you may have to hire a crane now. That's all we can say. <laughs> in other news, we have a non-crane lifted refrigerator in our basement now. We do. <laughs> <laughs> Completely and totally unrelated. Yeah. All right. So enough about our new beer fridge and <laughs> more about Formula One. So I had mentioned to you that I really wanted to know what happened to the DRS in Abu Dhabi? I told you what happened. I explained it to you. I used small words and everything. It stopped working. It did. But we have a little more information from Michael Massey as to why and what happened and why the decision was made to disable it. Okay. Um, put it very simply, uh, according to Michael Massey, it was a data server crash. Um, when this system went down... Um, the stewards lost the ability to consistently get reliable information from the cars, from all of the cars. And that was the other thing is they could get from some, but they couldn't get from others. But they could not get reliable information from all of the cars as to the status of the DRS on, on the car, as to whether or not it had opened up or not. Mm. And because they couldn't get that reliable feed, the decision was made to disable it for all until they could sort the problem out. Okay. So ultimately, eventually, they did figure it out, uh, but it took them 18 laps to sort that out. But until that happened, they felt it was best to not have... I mean, because they could have watched on the TV cameras or something like that, but they wanted the positive indication. Did they call the (laughs) IT crowd? Um, Did they turn it off and turn it back on again? Possibly. Did they reboot their server? You know what I don't know is whether or not it's Tata Communications that still handles all of that stuff. I haven't seen the ads for them recently, so I'm not sure if they're still involved. Because they used to do all of this work. Mm-hmm. Which, if that's the case, um, yeah, that that's, doesn't speak well for them. But I don't know if they still do it. Well, you know, I mean, every <clears throat> so often these... Windows-based servers have got to be rebooted. Blue screen to death. Yes. I'm, so, I'm sorry. The, the more modern name for it, 
because you know we're Windows 10 now and, and things have been upgraded. It is the turquoise screen of futility. <laughs> <laughs> is that what they're calling it? These the days? turquoise screen of futility. Yes. Well, just remember, it's not a bug; <clears throat> it's a feature. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure it wasn't a Mac, only because we didn't hear it was a kernel panic. Exactly. You used to be very adept at causing kernel panics. Or the beach ball <clears throat> of doom. The, the spinning beach ball of death. Yes. Yes. That maybe that's what it was. They got spinning beach ball of death on from some of the cars. Maybe that's the Mac based shops. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Because we're a Mac house. So it had to be the Windows based shops that Oh, okay. That had the turquoise screen of utility. Yes. I like that. <laughs> I shall use that in a sentence this week, I promise. Go for it. All right. So also at Abu Dhabi, as you will recall, Ferrari getting its 50,000 euro fine for a fuel level discrepancy. Correct. So Ferrari has gone back and they have looked at everything. And yes, the, the, the penalty has been assessed and there is no going back on it. That says they don't agree with this. Naturally. Well, no. So hang on a sec. Because... They, they make some valid points. So first of all, they can't explain why the FIA had a different number. They have looked at the numbers. They have looked at what they have reported. And they have looked at everything that has gone down, the, the whole paper trail that they keep for this stuff. They don't know how the FIA got the wrong number or got a different number. That's, that's why they're kind of questioning at this point. And what would normally happen is that this would come down and there would be enough time for a team in, in a situation like this there would be enough time for a team to rerun the figures do whatever testing whatever validation was needed in order to say hey wait no there's a mistake here there's a problem however everything was was put in there the pit lane opened up charles leclerc made one of the sighting laps which meant now whatever was originally in the car wasn't the same as what was currently in the car. So they and could then, not fare. Right. And then the notification came out of the discrepancy. There was nothing Ferrari could do at that point. Oh. So they're, they're not appealing it, but they are a little upset over how this went down and the timing and the fact that if there was a mistake along the way, they did not have the opportunity to address it before the car moved and before any of that fuel was consumed because they could have dealt with it well <clears throat> honestly and i'm never one to defend the galloping horse mm -hmm. honestly i think it was poorly handled all the way around because we thought even in the beginning that whatever this discrepancy was was pretty cut and dry they should have assessed penalties early they should have if they were going to do anything, they needed to do it faster. Well, so how the whole sequence works, okay, per um, Technical Directive 1219, which was issued before the start of the season. I'm familiar with it. I read it. Right. You know, I read it morning, every morning. See, I, I question that because you didn't, I had to tell you what it was. No, I, you had to tell me which Technical Directive it was. Oh, I have okay. read Technical Directives 1 through 92. Okay. Well, 1219 says that teams have to declare the amount of fuel they intend to put in the car, which covers the laps to the grid, 
the formation lap, the race, and the in-lap at least two hours before the pit lane opens. Okay. The FIA can then conduct random checks before the pit lane opens to check the de declaration matches the amount of fuel in the tank. And it was during one of those checks on Charles Leclerc's Ferrari that the FIA discovered a difference between what Ferrari had declared and the amount of fuel it believed it was in the car. But it was not until eight minutes before the pit lane opened for the start of the race that Ferrari was notified the FIA had found this discrepancy. And by that stage, it was too late to request a second check on the amount of fuel. And once Leclerc had left the garage, there was no way of proving the fuel amount. Oh, wow. So this really, if there was a discrepancy one way or the other, if there was an error, Ferrari couldn't request a review mm -hmm. because of how this went down. It was handled poorly. Let's yeah. chalk it up to that. Now, again... Ferrari is not going and um, they're not challenging it. They're not arguing it, but. Oh, they're not arguing it in the proper channels. They're just, you know, making a news report of unfair, unfair, unfair. Okay. Yeah. Because that's the Ferrari way. Now, the other thing that Autosport is saying is that a post-race check of the fuel remaining in the car and how much had been used in the race was in line with what Ferrari originally declared was in the car. What they say they declared or what the FIA... What Ferrari reported was in the car. Okay, so, but the the issue was that what Ferrari reported... And what the FIA, FIA had, had was different. Was different. This is in line with what Ferrari said was supposed to be in the car. Okay. So, it's possible that... Ferrari, that uh, the FIA screwed up. It's possible. So we're we're now at the the point of the year, you know. It's 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 we're at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Annual reviews. Oh yes. So we've got they, self reviews their self, happening. Their well, self reviews. Well, they're starting to trickle in, and and some of them were were are interesting, and some of them are not. Um, Kimmy's is very short. Yeah. Not fast enough. <laughs> Need better car. <laughs> um, but Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton has rated 2019 his best year. And he says that it's his best year, especially considering that Mercedes started the year with a, quote, heap of a car. I thought it was a princess this year. <clears throat> it was a diva last year. It was a princess this year. Well, it, it probably also depends on who you talk to for the categorization. Oh, Mercedes may be calling it a princess. Okay. And, and Lewis is also talking about, you know, the start of the season, particularly, you know, that run up in preseason. He said the car was a heap to drive. Um, it didn't look great in testing. They couldn't get it into the performance windows, and it really wasn't until the last day they got it to work. And then they get to the first race, and everything turned around. But... Every, I mean, that's why my predictions look the way they do, is Mercedes struggled with that car in testing. Yep. And it did not look promising for that car. And even for the first couple of races, yes, I know Mercedes won them, um, but it was not necessarily because the car was the better car that Mercedes won them. Correct. So. There were a, a few races that Ferrari lost. Yeah. That Mercedes did not actually win. 
Yeah. Um, so there's been a rumor flying around that I dismissed it for, and, and I still think it, that there's not a whole lot of credibility to it. But the reality is that silly season for 2020. Yes. For the 2021 driver lineup, it's already started. 2021's driver lineup, silly season, has already started. Right, which normally kicks off in 2020. Right. Here we are in 2019. The 2020 season hasn't even started yet, and silly season is already underway. All because of word that, uh, well, rumors in the Italian media that Ferrari chairman John Elkin had already made contact with Lewis about a possible ride with Ferrari in 2021. Combined with um, some kind words that were were said about Lewis's season and his driving this year from Mattia Bonotto and the Ferrari camp has lit the fires of speculation that maybe Lewis could go to Mercedes. Or, Or excuse me, that Lewis could go to Ferrari and leave Mercedes at the end of 2020. Interesting. Um, I mean, the reality is Lewis's contract is up at the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. Seb's contract is up at the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. Valtteri's contract is up at the end of 2020. Daniel Ricciardo's contract is up at the end of 2020. Max Verstappen's contract... I'm not sure if he's up at 2020 or 2021. He might be 2020. Because I think he got a two-year deal, which is one of the reasons why Daniel left. Correct. I mean, okay, so a couple of years ago, we had 70% of the grid had contracts that ended, and we thought Mm -hmm. we were going to face an epic silly season. We did. Epically boring. Yeah. Everybody stayed at their right teams. 2020... 2021 has got the potential of being truly interesting because with the rules changes Mm -hmm. people are going to be even less sure about staying where they are you know did they get it right and all that kind of stuff the thing is if the progression happens the way i think it will happen and mercedes gets another championship next year Mm -hmm. and lewis wins the championship next year Mm -hmm. that will be number seven Mm -hmm. That will tie him with Schumacher. Right. Which is truthfully one of the last great, like, records records for Lewis to beat and become literally the all-time best driver ever. Um, he needs one more championship after next year. Does he stay with the, you know, do you stay with the guy that brought you? Or do you jump ship that to a team that has not won a championship since the early 2000s? Well, th- there's another piece here that you got to also keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And it's not Lewis. Because remember, one of the other purposes of Silly Season is to play mind games and mess with other drivers. True. Or, potentially, to put existing drivers on notice so you think that this is about vettel that that's what i truly think step out yeah because you know if charles leclerc has another season like he did this year oh yeah and 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 we have no reason to think otherwise 
Ferrari is not going to want to get rid of that talent. They're going to want to keep that under their control. Along the same lines, if you have Seb who is continuing to make these silly mistakes, who's continuing to, to have the, the struggles that he is having and the team is not coalescing around him, they're co- coalescing around Charles. That puts his seat at risk along with that reminder that, you know, there's a lot of other drivers like a six-time world champion on the grid who might be a little bit interested, even if he has absolutely no intention of leaving Mercedes. Just throwing it out there of, you know, he's taking the boss's calls. We've had some great conversations with Lewis. He's a really great guy. <laughs> or just go to the media and say, Seb's a really good guy. Well, that that's, you know, for, if Ferrari turns around and even starts making comments of, you know, really impressed with what we're seeing from Lewis this year or any kind of positive comments like that. Plays into Ferrari's hands if you want to light a fire under Seb. Mm-hmm. If Seb leaves, it potentially lays the ground for you to welcome him into the team, welcome Lewis into the team. Or if you're Lewis Hamilton, it gives you leverage with Mercedes. I mean, there's all kinds of different permutations here. Yeah. Now, Mercedes has said, Total Wolf in particular, has said that they are not going to embark on as um as toto says a fishing mission around other formula one drivers until they know what lewis's plans are for 2021 which i think is fair and i think knowing lewis he's going to get this settled july august of next year Mm -hmm. at the latest that's going to be nailed down we'll know one way or the other what he's going to do well, yeah. Keep in mind, he does all of his own negotiation, and he really dislikes the process. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, makes me kind of wonder, why is he still doing it? I don't think that... I mean, he... I, I get the whole idea of, you know, he, he doesn't want to pay somebody else to do this, and he wants to have some degree of control. But I think the answer may be, and, and this could be part of the problem, is he went from... His father, who was handling a lot of that stuff for him, Mm -hmm. to firing his father and bringing in a talent agency to do it. And then getting rid of the talent agency and doing it himself. I'm kind of thinking that if he went to a a former driver, and there there are several drivers who, who have managed current drivers and worked with one of them, they'd probably do it. Or, well... They probably would have done it for a better fee if he hadn't gone to the talent agency. Mm-hmm. But that's... I don't know. I mean, on one hand, I got to give him props for, like, I want to control my own destiny and I'm going to mm-hmm. take care of this myself and I know that I'm the person I can trust. And you got to give him props. You got to give him props for that. Yeah. The other side of that is he hates doing it. But he's also not the only one who does this. Yeah. Sebastian Vettel does it too. And I think that was part of the the reason why Lewis started doing it is because Sebastian does it. And Sebastian gets stuff that people are jealous of, mm-hmm. like his cars. Yeah. So other 
rumors swirling around Mercedes. Um, so over in Abu Dhabi, um, it was made clear that uh, not only is current F1 CEO Chase Carey under a short-term rolling contract. I'm not completely sure what a rolling contract is, but he's under a short-term rolling contract. But he's apparently also made clear that he's not interested in a long-term deal. Interesting. Yeah. Which, of course, is leading to the speculation that Chase could be looking for an exit ramp. Hmm. And if that happens, who's going to come and replace him? Bernie. Well, once again, the rumors are flying of not Bernie, but Total Wolf. Yeah. We've heard this before. Now, of course, the other one that we've heard floating around, and I have not heard since Bernie has left, is Christian Horner. Mm-hmm. But we've heard the rumors are starting to fly that, well, maybe Toto's considering looking for another direction, especially with these rumors flying that Mercedes might leave Formula One and all that stuff. Well, Toto Wolf says no. Um, well, um, he hasn't fully made a decision as for long term what he wants to do when he grows up. <laughs> what he does say is that, you know, he really enjoys running this team, especially while the team is successful. He really, really enjoys running this team, but he really enjoys running the team. And he's not really inclined to leave it right now. I can understand that. So as of this point, Toto Wolf. Um, is not taking over Formula One if and when Chase Carey finds the door. We'll see when it happens. We don't think Ibrox is going to take over for Chase, do we think? No. Remember, they're looking for a potential replacement for him. We talked about this last week. Yes. Because he's working in London, families in the States, and that. And he goes to all the races, and that does not make for a happy home life. I don't know. Maybe his wife doesn't mind having eyebrows gone I, i'm i'm pretty sure that when they were talking 22 races sean bratches wasn't going sign me up <laughs> maybe he just gets air sick i don't know um so while we're i mean lots of mercedes news this week um mercedes word came out in next year we'll pay the highest ever f1 entry fee of any team or their team anybody why? So, the way it works, um, there's a basic entry fee that all teams pay of $556,509. And that's U.S. That is base, just want to come in. Then on top of that, for the 2019 season, um, the winning constructor pays an additional $6,677 per point one. <laughs> now, if you're not the winning constructor, you have to pay um, that $556,509 plus $5,563 per point one. So, um, for Mercedes getting 739 points this year, which, by the way, is fewer points than they got last year. Wow. Um, 739 point haul this year um, means they're paying $4,934,303 just for the points that they won in 2019. And then on top of that, the $500,000 bringing their total entry fee to $5,475,000. Wow. 
$490,812, which is $2 million more than the next highest entry fee. Ouch. Yeah. But Williams got such a deal this year. Now, the $4 million that Mercedes paid this year is $200,000 more than its points-based fee for 2016 and over $600,000 higher than 2018. Wow. Because the the fee goes up based on the U.S. Consumer Price Index. And the dollar is strong. Right. Grr. Than uh, the pound, particularly. Because Brexit's not working out so well. Guys, heads up. <laughs> so but Williams got a bargain. They had one lonely point. Yeah. So... Mercedes, they paid five. They will be paying for twenty twenty five million four hundred ninety thousand dollars and four hundred ninety thousand eight hundred and twelve dollars. Okay, that's their entry fee. Ferrari three million three hundred sixty thousand two hundred sixty one dollars. Um, Red Bull two million eight hundred seventy six thousand two hundred and eighty dollars. And I'm not going to go all the way through. Don't worry about it. Um, but Haas with twenty eight points. Um, their total entry fee is $712,273. And Williams, with their one point, $562,072. Yeah. That's going to save them some bank. It does, but then you look at how much they have lost in prize money. Well, yeah. And it gets even worse. I mean, the thing is, the reality is, you got to understand that the prize money covers this mm-hmm. easily. Um, now, They're making more than six thousand dollars a point mm-hmm. in prize money. Now, the other question of Mercedes' future. Mm-hmm. We've got more info on that. Um, Total Wolf has said that um, their long-term future in Formula One will be secured if they can reduce the contribution they are getting from parent company Daimler. Okay. So according to um, Mercedes' own accounting for 2018, their contribution that they got from Daimler was less than 40 million million pounds. Now we know their budget is like well over 400 million pounds. Right. So, so 10%? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, all of that money, that additional money, that's all from prize money and sponsorship. Oh, wow. And then they've got to figure out how to drop 40 million pounds. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that this is going to be all that hard for Mercedes. I know. I mean, Really? If that's a forty million pounds when when your overall budget is four hundred million, it's still ten percent of your budget. It, you it is. cut you cut ten percent out of your financial budget. I know it hurts, it, and it it can, but maybe I you know I would bet you that they could probably find some of this forty million dollars if they did something like oh I I don't know maybe shifted from using special crystal glasses at every race to going to plastic cups. 
but then that's not reusable and that's not sustainable and that's not a sustainable based dixie cups that's not real they're compostable they're biodegradable makes a whole lot better sense than getting all new glasses for every race you think they have 40 million dollars 40 million pounds in glass for do you have know, you, have do you, you know have you where they a, have 40 million pounds? Have you seen what a for, Formula One team does when they travel? Yeah, do you know where I know for a fact they have 40 million pounds? Uh, I don't think it's a full 40. I think it's about 34 or 35 million. In one person's salary. In one person's salary. Mm-hmm. And that's probably without the bonuses for every point he wins. Yeah. But... But you don't... 40 million pounds from Daimler, six world championships. I know. Uh, you don't get all that other money, the 360 million pounds. You don't get that without the six world championships. Actually, let me rephrase that. 40 million pounds from Daimler or six world championships and seven constructors titles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get you. I get yeah. you. I'm not suggesting that you fire Lewis for, <laughs> for 40 million pounds. I, I'm not suggesting that by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, quite frankly, they could just require probably some of the some number of the staff to fly coach and, yeah. and then save that money. I mean, there's some ways to do it, I'm sure. I mean, think about your hospitality costs would be the first place that I would look. But anyway... So red Except if we ever go, because they should be hospitable to us at the very. level to which we would like to become accustomed. Very. All right, moving on. So Red Bull. Red Bull, not Mercedes. Red Bull has um, their evaluation of this year. Their mm. first year with Honda and Honda Power oh. was beyond expectations. Oh, so they exceeded expectations? They did. Well, they got straight fives? Let, let me put it to you this way. Based on my expectations for them this year, oh, hell yeah, did they exceed their expectations. Okay, but your expectations were zero. No, I I figured they would get some points occasionally. I was... You expected them to fire, end up on the side of the road on a fiery crash at some point. Some of that, well, I figured the the, the engines were going to explode a lot more often. Um, I sure as hell was not expecting there to be a, a Red Bull Honda driver on a podium, mm-hmm. let alone two Toro Rosso drivers this year. Yes. Two of them and three race wins. <laughs> I never would have thought that Honda was going to win a race this year. Never would have called that. So, yeah, I, I agree with them. For first year, A, first year with an engine manufacturer, and B, with the history that we had from Honda going into this year, and and the talk at the end of this year that, you know, if Red Bull gets the car design right, we could have a challenger for the constructor's title. Yeah. That would be that would be very impressive. It would also make up for a really fun season. And it would piss McLaren off. Not that not that I disagree with McLaren's decision, but it would piss them off. Yeah. But again, because they had such an easy target in Honda, mm-hmm. they ignored other problems with their cars. And that is an indication that they were not listening to us because I kept telling them, it's more than your engine, boys. 
Yes, agree. Um, and it, but their targeting of Honda, there, there, it was more than just. It, initially, it was. I think it was the combination of both. Mm-hmm. It was a bad engine and a bad car design, and the bad engine was making it hard to find the bad car design. Well, yeah, and it was so easy to say, oh, it's it, Honda's fault. It's Honda's fault. Oh, look, it, the car blew up on the side of the road. That's great, but even when it's working, it's not working. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, think about it, okay? Mm-hmm. You need to figure out whether or not the aerodynamics of the car are working properly. That does mean At you need speed. to be moving. Right. right. So if you only get a half lap out of the car and then the engine blows up, you can't figure out as to whether or not the aerodynamics work the way they're supposed to. Exactly. <laughs> so mean, what I had said in the original was... That the Honda engine was masking some of the other problems that they had. Okay. Now they have a... Hampering the aerodynamic development of the car. Right. Okay. They had issues. Lots of issues. So this past weekend was... And and I mentioned it last year. Every year I get to mention it. I truly think that this event has both the greatest and the worst name ever <laughs> the fia prize giving event was this past weekend <laughs> both the greatest and worst name ever <laughs> well it exactly describes what they are doing probably Can't, the engineers we couldn't call it the award ceremony no it's the prize giving it's <laughs> a bunch of engineers came up with a name for it. It's exactly what it is. They give prizes. Yeah. Well, the, the FIA prize giving w- was Friday night in Paris. Um, and besides the, the typical awards, you know, the Drivers and Constructors Championship going and, and some of the, the BRDC Drivers Awards and some of that stuff, there were other awards that were given out. Um, not the least of which was the Mexican Grand Prix was awarded the Promoter's Awards uh, the promoter's award for its efforts in promoting and marketing the race. Okay. Um, now, this isn't the first time that the Mexican Grand Prix won that award. They've won it five times. How many times have they raced? Five times. I think so. Wow. But, you know, if, if you think about what Mexico does every year, I mean, they, they keep looking for ways to top what they have done the previous... I mean, how many other races do you know of that make... Th- that are trying to find every year some kind of element that just makes it a bigger party? Okay. You got to give them credit for the giant party. Now, how the Mexican Grand Prix is going to top the podium that lifted the car onto the podium? I don't know. <laughs> they have set their own bar pretty dang high for next year true i mean what what was the best that that austin did stetson hats on the podium the first year i don't know i was very much pro the stetson hat now okay keep in mind the stetson hats were the the first year of austin the rusky fur hats were the first year of sochi Mm -hmm. and sombreros were the first year of mexico yeah yeah so i wonder if they'll do uh some sort of special hat for Vietnam. I, I, I don't know what the traditional Vietnamese hat is. It's not the Wok Pan looking hat? Oh, uh, it might be. I don't know. Could well, be. I don't know what that's called. We will find out. 
That would be very weird if that's what they put on their heads. It, it could be interesting, but it, it could be unique. Anyway, so other awards that were given. Um, the FIA Drivers Commission uh, awarded Alex Albin the Rookie of the Year. Okay, I get that he had a podium, but I'm not sure I would give him Rookie of the Year. He's you not mean, my rookie of the you, year. You mean starting out in Toro Rosso and then getting promoted up to a top three team halfway through the year and then outscoring the wonder kid of Formula One for what? Five straight races? Okay, so one or up to my rookie of the year. <laughs> okay, so he was good. <laughs> Won't argue that he didn't deserve you, something. You, you get you get pulled up to to a brand new team, and then you outscore Max Verstappen for a good part of the last half of the season. That's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, but was he Lando Norris impressive? I mean, um, Lando okay. was pretty darn impressive. I'll give you that. I mean, and and that and that's the thing. I I, I think. You could go either way with rookie of the year between Lando and and Alex. I mean, okay, truly. you had three rookies this year, mm-hmm. and honestly, all three of them made their own name worthy. Even George, your favorite Kendall, he, he out qualified his teammate yeah. twenty one yes, races. Yes, I consider George Russell to be a walking Kendall, but I don't. Th- I mean. He doesn't have the personality that Lando Norris has, but he's he's not a bad guy. No. That's it. Lando's a great guy. Well, he's none. <laughs> so much for his Formula One career. Yeah. Could you stop killing his career? Because <laughs> I like Lando. I do. Which <laughs> no, is probably the end of his career. Because I said that about K-Mag, and I said that about Hulkenberg, and <sighs> alas. Anyway, the, the other... Th- there were two other awards. Um, the fans and i don't know what fans but the fans according to the article uh awarded max verstappen oscillating the... yeah ceiling the ceiling the ceiling fans attic yeah <laughs> they awarded max verstappen the action of the year prize for the battle he had with charles leclerc at the british grand prix okay so um and then finally the other award that we wanted uh, that i wanted to mention uh, which was uh, voted on and awarded by the accredited media for the FIA, uh, was the Personality of the Year Award, which went to Nikki Lauda. Ah. And honestly, the only reason why I disagree with this, really the only reason, is because it's an of the year. Oh. You think it should have gotten like personality of Formula One. You know, one of these legacy type yeah. things. I, that Because that's truly the kind of person that, that Nikki was. And there's a legacy that he has left. And that, that that's the only reason why I disagree with this award. Not for any other reason. Not that I don't think that he should be recognized. And, you know, I, I, I've said it before. It, if you want to see a guy with an incredible personality and an incredible drive, you'll learn about Nikki Lauda. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very small set of 
you know, legendary Formula One names, regardless of whether they were drivers or other positions within Formula One. But some names will stand for in infamy for all of time for Formula One. And we will hold up future drivers and future people against those names. And Nikki's one of those names. You've got Nikki. You've got uh, Charlie Whiting is another one of the names that you will hold people up to their standard, their Sid piece. Watkins Sid Watkins. Uh, Sid one. Watkins was the other one I was thinking about. Um and, you know, for, for better or worse, Bernie Eccleston's going to be on that list, too. He saved and, Formula and, One in the 70s. He did. To, to some extent, he deserves it. Um, but Bernie Eccleston will be on that list as well. And th- there are a lot of other very My, big names. Michael on. Schumacher mm-hmm. will, from his driving standpoint. Ayrton Senna. Um, yeah, Ayrton. Um, but when you go back further, I mean, Sterling Moss is going to be mm-hmm. one of those names that comes up. And Jimmy Clark. Jimmy Clark and Jackie Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you've got those names. but And when you really start taking that group and take a subset down and go, who were transformational to the sport? You've got Nikki Lauda, Jackie Stewart, Sid Watkins, Charlie Whiting, Bernie Eccleston. You know, even, even the ones that are great names. Schumacher had a piece of transformational because he was one of the first fit drivers that we had, one that wasn't smoking and drinking every weekend. Mm-hmm. But that was his his contribution to transforming the sport. Sterling wasn't transforming the sport. James Hunt certainly wasn't transforming the sport. Yeah. But when you talk about transforming the sport group, that's the group that you come down to is Nikki, Jackie, Sid, Charlie, Bernie. Basically, if it's not an e, an IE at the end of their name, and it was Sid, yeah, <laughs> that's that. That's the group. That is what group he sits with. Speaking of some of those names, there was a picture that that I come across, and I should have saved it because it would make a great one for us to use in one of our cover arts. And I'm gonna see if I can find it again. It was a picture I came across either last week or the week before. It's an old black and white picture. Um, it is of Damon Hill probably about a toddler Aww. sitting on a little ride-on car. It's a black and, black and white picture, sitting on a little ride-on car. And standing behind him is Graham, Sterling Moss, and another, and I don't remember who the driver was, another one of those <laughs> legendary drivers from that era with this cop- caption of, did anybody know, you know what this group was going to truly be when oh, this wow. picture was taken? Any inspiration that that Damon had behind him? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you gotta you've got to admit that some people that have those generational families. I mean, you look at you look at Max. Mm-hmm. You know, to have his family pushing and pulling for him for so much. Now, it doesn't always work out. I mean, look at Jolie and Palmer. Yeah, I mean. People talked about pushing him in a pram. I mean, he was on the grid as a toddler too, and not there. So it's the combination, but it's right time, right talent, right car. That's what you need. So, moving on. So there's some rule changes we know are coming for the 2020 season that I wanted to touch on. The first one will actually is specifically targeting preseason testing. 
So what has happened in the past is that preseason testing comes out. If the cars are not on the tracks, the teams go and they put up barricades in front of their garages so that nobody can see any trick parts that they're running, anything, you know, the work that they're doing, any of that stuff to keep it as much secret as possible. Mm-hmm. You can't do that on a race weekend. Right. Race rules specifically prevent that. Um, however, uh, the FIA has approved wording to prevent teams from covering their cars during winter testing in order to make these events more appealing to the media and fans. So basically the exact same restrictions that the teams have on a Grand Prix weekend around obscuring visibility of their cars will happen, uh, is in place for preseason testing. So this means that, uh, no screen cover or other obstruction, which in any way obscures any part of a car, will be allowed at any time in the paddock, garages, pit lane, or grid, unless it is clear any such covers are needed solely for mechanical reasons. There's also bans on engine, gearbox, or radiator covers while engines are being changed or moved in the garage, covers over spare wings when they are on stand in the pit lane, and parts such as, and not limited to, Spare floors, fuel rigs, or tool trolleys cannot be used as an obstruction. Wow. So that's the first change. Next change, because we have a 22-race season, teams are getting approval for it to be able to run a third MGUK uh, engine race element. Mm-hmm. Um, longer season, need more parts. So that's been approved. Um, the next change that's and and this one is is not official yet. Uh, skip that one. Come, to, you'll come back to that. Do okay. the way bridge. Oh, okay. Um, the FIA has changed their way bridge rules for 2020. So there is a rule in place, and, and some of what triggered this was um, Pierre Gasly had to start from the pit lane in Azerbaijan um, because. In Friday pit lane or in Friday practice, he got the light to go to the Weybridge and he missed it. And then the team worked on the car. Ah. Um, same thing happened at the U.S. Grand Prix. Sergio Perez on a Friday practice missed the Weybridge. Team worked on the car. They went and, and and made him start from the pit lane. Um, the teams are trying to complain that this is really ridiculous. There's no reason for it. It's outmoded. It's outdated. So what this comes back to, where, where this rule came from, was actually at one time qualifying used to be on a Friday. Oh. So with qualifying being on the Friday, the car's technically in park for May. So if you missed a Weybridge for qualifying and the car was in park for May and the team worked on it, you were in violation. Right. The reality is we don't do that anymore. And they can still be working on the car. Right. So why why weigh them well, on Friday? Well, there, there's still the requirement to weigh them. But what they're doing, what they've changed it is that it's not automatically um, a pit lane start. Okay. Instead, it's being referred to the, to the marshals or to the stewards. And the stewards will decide what, if any, penalty needs to be assessed. Okay. So we'll see if that helps. All right, flag. Yeah, I had a feeling that's what you wanted next. Yeah. Um, so the next change. Now, if you'll recall, after the uh, 2018 Canadian Grand Prix, the infamous one where the race ended 
a lap early, or it may have been two laps early, because celebrity guest Winnie Harlow misunderstood what she was told by it, and, and that's what I'm, I'm going with. I'm not going to blame her. That she misunderstood an indication that she was given by the official that was on the, the starter stand with her and waved the flag early. Right. So as a result of this, the FIA said, all right, we're not going to do this thing with the flags anymore. We're going to have this electronic starting, this electronic lap counting system, and we're not going to wave the flag. It's the checkered flag board. That'll signify the end of the race. No problems. We're no gonna, human error. No human error. The robots are going to take over. The robots will get it right. I, for one, did not welcome our robot overlords. And sure enough, in Japan this year, there was a system error, as you will recall, and the race was declared one lap early by the system. Exactly. The robot screwed up. It had to be rebooted. It went to the turquoise screen of futility. And now, well, that was it. It was a failure condition, and when it failed, it, it said, up, oh, race over. <laughs> yes. We're done. Um, so now... In a reversal of the decision, the electronic system is now going away and we're going back to the flags. When in doubt, go back to the previous thing that we had problems with. Well, that worked right most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. But we're going back to the flags. Some of the time. Enter back in human intervention. Our robot overlords did not win. We will defeat them. (laughs) All right. We have three... uh, Track pieces of news. Yes. Wow. You took note. You never take notes like this. I know. I know. Because I want to get to the predictions, and it's important. So, um, organizers at Paul Ricard are considering major track layout revisions to try and make the race better and have better racing. They can't make it worse. So, the Eric Boulier. You remember Eric, right? Yeah. Eric Boulier. He came out of woodwork. He is now a strategic advisor for the the French Grand Prix. The French Grand Prix. The French. He's a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Well, no, that's the that this is this is the race of the Grinches. Ah. (laughs) No, but the French Grand Prix. Eric Boulier is now the strategic advisor for the French Grand Prix. He said that he began talks with Michael Massey in twenty nineteen in July of twenty nineteen. Uh, and they had subsequent, subsequent conversations with FOM um, where Eric basically looked at him and said, what do we need to do to make this better? <laughs> so wh- what I like best is that apparently the response was pretty much the same thing that we did. Change the whole track. <laughs> Change everything. <laughs> he said they came back to me with a completely new track layout. <laughs> he said that wasn't Paul Ricard at all, which was not going to work. I, I, I disagree, but apparently that's what they said was change everything. <laughs> but I thought the advantage to this Paul Ricard track was that it was infinitely changeable. Well, infinitely changeable, yes. Infinitely changeable in ways that didn't make things better. <laughs> make it better. So what... They're, they're currently focusing on as possibilities to make things better. I don't know if this is going to be enough. Um, the first is going to be reprofiling the chicane in the Mistral Strait to make it tighter. Okay. I, maybe. 
Well, you, you know, remember the the whole point of that is is to make the cars slow down and, and actually have a braking zone, since otherwise this is just a track of straight lines. <laughs> That's the biggest problem. Is it's a track of straight lines? Yeah. So first thing is uh, reprofiling the chicane to make it tighter. Uh, they're talking about a third DRS zone b- before signs, and they haven't given any info on what this is, but an all new layout for the first section. I don't, I don't know exactly what they're looking at, um, but they're looking at something. Um, Eric says that um, they're going to keep the chicane and will keep signs in both set because they're signature corners, but maybe they can make a change from turn one to turn four. Um, they want to make those areas faster with bigger braking zones and then have two big straight lines that should cause a team to run less downforce. Um he says that they are not considering taking out the chicane on the back straight, which I don't know. We'll see. Well, what okay, there. let's go with they can't make it much worse, so try something, anything. Yeah, I guess. Um, he says everyone says take out the sh- the chicane and have a straight line. It's going to solve your problem. He says, yes, but it's creating more problems because I've got 10,000 grandstand seats there. And obviously the main revenue stream of a Grand Prix promoter is ticketing. So where am I going to put these 10,000 people in the grandstand? Plus also, well, all the overtaking maneuvers happen over there. So (laughs) (laughs) So we'll, we'll see what they do. He said there's no final decision, which I think means that it ain't getting fixed for next year. Hmm. Um, Over in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. uh, they have added a corner uh so now it will have 23 corners in that track it will make it longer now from the original 3.458 miles to 3.484 miles oh yeah um made a change a little bit on turn 22 and 23 but the good news that the folks in vietnam have is that um this circuit which is going to be a mix of street and dedicated track area the dedicated areas, the new construction part that, that's needed for the track is done. Yay. Um, they're working on the final asphalt, uh, putting that down on the street section. Um, that should be done by the end of this year. And then there is overlay work that needs to happen uh, between now and when the race happens. But they see absolutely no reason why they will not be ready for the first Formula One race in April of 2020. Well, that's good news. So they are on hand. Um, now over at the Dutch Grand Prix, you know, they heard everyone going, you're going to bank this. Are you really sure that's a good idea? And the organizers over in Zanfort, they said, well, you know, you might not like it, but this was Charlie Whiting's idea. Oh, yeah. He can't defend himself. Blame the dead guy. Yeah, that makes good sense. So according to Eric Weijers, who's the Dutch Grand Prix's head of operations, he said that um, it was suggestions from Charlie that inspired the idea of the banking. That's not Charlie said, bank this. It's suggestions. He says, according to Eric, he says, Charlie was very enthusiastic about the shape of the circuit, the gravel trap, the gravel traps and the short pit lane. At the Luyendik corner, he suggested putting a crash barrier directly next to the track. 
That reduces the impact when you shoot off the course. I'm not sure if he understands what directly next to means, but that's what he says here. He says that reduces the impact when you shoot off the course. The farther from the course, the greater the angle and the impact. A day after the visit, we returned to the office and said, why don't we do banking? Okay, he suggested a barrier and not banking. It's, I know it's two B words, but they're very different B words. Let's go to a different B word. Barrier. Yeah. So not inspired by Charlie Whiting. Charlie Whiting didn't tell you to do that. Undo it. So our last actual story. I've got a question for you. Yes. Did you know? No. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Predictions. (laughs) Last story. (laughs) yes you only want to get to the predictions because you kicked our butts anyway (laughs) spoilers (laughs) spoilers anyway yes did you know that formula e was not a world championship no what is it it was just a racing series up until the 2020-21 season oh it did not meet the requirements to be a, to be considered a world championship. What in the world is the wor- the requirements to become a world championship? So there there are a couple of things, and um, first of all, you need to have four manufacturer competitors and races on three continents. Okay. In its first season, it didn't have that. Okay. Um, and then the final delay in getting the grade had to do with <clears throat> the team entry fees. You had they to have need, them? They need to be higher. Oh. So I don't have full details on what it was, uh, but as of the 2020-2021 season, the FIA Formula E series will be a world championship series. They, they grew up and got big boy championships. Yes. Excellent. Now, can we talk about the predictions? Now we can talk about the predictions, which, by the way, yes. just to be clear, uh-huh. this is the first that our listeners have heard our predictions for 2019. So I will promise that we did follow our rules every, even though we did not publish this because there was a lot of stuff going on and there were moves and all this other stuff. Things that we were not talking about when the season started. But we actually did predictions and we actually did lock them away and quite honestly i did not look at them until about two hours before we recorded and i even then turned around and called patricia over and said hey look at this i got this right and i didn't think i was going i don't know where i pulled that out of my butt from but (laughs) exactly exactly so we did follow all of our rules you just have to trust us but now is the time that you get to reveal the questions our Mm -hmm. answers and the correct answers. All right. So we started very traditional with our with our predictions, as we always do, mm-hmm. with who will win the Drivers' Championship this year. Yes. So myself and the boy, and, and I, I broke normal because I didn't normally do this, but the boy and I both said Sebastian Vettel. And we were both very much wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I did not break ranks. I st- Stood by my man, Hamilton all the way. Yeah. Point to me. And you know, 
you can see here how my predictions failed me not just here but also in fantasy gp yeah because it was all influenced by the same stuff anyway so i had vettel the boy had vettel trisha had had hamilton mm-hmm. our next question staying traditional who will win the constructors championship this year and again in the same vein the boy and i both said ferrari and we're both wrong i of course correctly predicted that Mercedes would once again get their seventh championship in a row. Frustrating, huh? No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. It was one of those years. (laughs) All right. And again, still staying with tradition. Yes. We asked, would Kimi Raikkonen leave Formula One this year? (laughs) And traditionally, we stayed with our same answers and said, yes. And the boy said, yes. And Trisha said, yes, please. (laughs) Yes. There was begging involved. And we were wrong. We were all wrong. (laughs) Traditionally. Almost there. Someday we will be right. Yeah. I'm telling you, every year we are putting that question in until he finally leaves. (laughs) All right. So. Then we, we started to divert a little bit. Okay. Um, asked the question of who will score more mo, bleh, who will score more points, Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricardo? Yes. And again, the whole idea behind this question was did Daniel really make a good choice leaving Red Bull and Honda, mm-hmm. which we thought was going to be a train wreck, and going to Renault, who had been a train wreck. Correct. Um, so we all said Max. And we were all correct. We were. That was actually kind of surprising. Hey, even a blind squirrel finds a nut occasionally. Yep. Max came away from the season with 278 points to Daniel Ricardo's 54. <sighs> yeah. All right. So our next question. <clears throat> Who will score more points? Pierre Gasly or Daniel Ricciardo? Okay. Again, not foreseeing that Pierre was going to get fired halfway through the season. Yes. However, we all said Max. Yeah, except that we were talking Pierre or Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I looked at the wrong question. I'm sorry. Who will score more points, Pierre Gasly or Daniel Ricciardo? Okay. I was looking at, I, I got my question wrong. So we asked, who will score more points, Pierre Gasly or Daniel Ricciardo? Mm-hmm. We all said Daniel. And we were all wrong. Yeah. Um, despite getting fired, Pierre Gasly scored 95 points on the season to Daniel Ricciardo's 54. It's not a good year for Daniel. Yeah. Now we asked, who will score more points, McLaren? Or racing point. Yes. So, I said McLaren. And you and the boy both said racing point. And that is the first time that I got it wrong that not all of us got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, McLaren Renault with 145 points and the racing point Mercedes with just 73. You know, I bet you that the racing point 
would have had more points if Lance Stroll wasn't one of their drivers. Probably. Oh, speaking of which, yes. I did not. I, I forgot to mention a story because it was very important. While we're on the topic of Racing Point, and Racing Point and their 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 owner Lawrence Stroll, who has so much money he could buy his son a Formula One team, so to make sure that his son continue to drive in Formula One, rumor has it is now looking to buy himself a car company. Oh. The rumor I really wish that Lawrence Stroll understood exactly how adoptable I am. The rumor is that Lawrence Stroll is looking at the newly revitalized Aston Martin. Interesting. Yeah. Some people have more dollars than cents. No, it's Aston Martin. Let's be clear. Okay. <laughs> but it's Aston Martin. I get it. But also, he's a clothing guy. Yeah. Yeah, it it But okay, if you look at it from the perspective of how can I go and find find businesses that have synergy with the vast money pit that is a Formula 1 team. Then you need a car company. You there definitely There you do. go. All right, keep See? moving on. I want right. to hear more about how I, you know, smoked you boys. All right. So the next question: yes. Who would score more points, McLaren or Renault? And I thought this was a really good one with yeah. McLaren coming on as the only customer team, and we all said Renault, all three of us. Mm-hmm. And um, well, it didn't work. <laughs> we were all. <laughs> wrong it, it, it was close McLaren if you think about had it, it a really good year compared to what we thought they were gonna have they they did um it was 145 points as we mentioned for mclaren renault and just 91 points for the renault works team mm-hmm. for the endstone team our next question who would score more points alfa romeo racing or haas now, this used to be a safe bet. Yes. This used to be a really safe bet. And as a result, we all said Haas. And then Haas had a disastrous season. So, Alfa Romeo Ferrari with 57 points on the year. And Haas Ferrari with 28. Yep. Yeah. Now, this one, honestly, if... Well, no, he was on a one-year contract, so this made sense. Okay. Um, We asked if Daniel Ricciardo would stay with Renault for 2020. Yes. Uh, The boy and I both said he's out of here. Because we kind of assumed that Mercedes was not going to re-sign Valtteri. Mm -hmm. Whether he deserved it or not was going to be a completely different story. But we assumed that they were not going to re-sign Valtteri, um, which they did. Uh, and Trisha said that Daniel was going to stay. Go me. Yeah. We we might need a judge's ruling on this next one. Okay. Actually, no, maybe not. So we asked if Pierre Gasly would stay at Red Bull for 2020. <laughs> he will not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Trisha said yes, and, and we both said no. Now, what we did... So, as I think about this, where I was thinking when, when I when we put this down was I assumed that Pierre Gasly, who was walking into the season, like he was the second coming of Max Verstappen and knew he was not going to be, was going to survive the season. And then Red Bull was going to fire him. I didn't think Red Bull was going to fire him <laughs> partway through the season. 
<laughs> but that was the quiet. You never asked would he survive the season. No, I didn't. You said, would he be at Red Bull next year? He is not going to be. Therefore, y'all get the points, and I miss the point. Okay, fair enough. Um... I was really hoping that this one was going to work out, but it didn't, was whether or not Robert Kubica would stay in Formula One in 2020. And the boy and I both said, yeah, he'll be around. And now he's gone. <laughs> so Trisha got that one right. Yep. Um, so our next question was, will a deal be announced that keeps Silverstone on the calendar past 2019? Because remember, they were up. Yep. Um, and it t- both Trisha and I said yes. And the boy said no. Okay. Our next question was, will an existing race other than Germany be dropped from the calendar in 2020? And if so, which one? Okay. And the boy and I both said Mexico City was going to win. Um, Trisha said no. And then our penultimate question. <laughs> penultimate question. My favorite word. In the whole English language, penultimate. Would a new race be confirmed for either 2020 or 2021? And this says that a return of a track no longer on the calendar counts. And if so, where would that race be? So it's a two-point question, correct? I'll take two points for this one. Yeah. Sure. I, I, I like that because I don't know how I pulled this one out of my butt, but... <laughs> I said that Zandvoort was coming back. And lo and behold, it's coming back. Now, the boy, I don't know what he was thinking. He said New Jersey. <laughs> he's he, he's dead set on that race coming. And yeah, not going to happen. And Trisha said Imola. Yeah, I thought Imola would come back. I, you know, I, I'm going to hold out hope that maybe Imola gets a deal. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. But I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and then our last question, mm-hmm. uh, would Liberty media put formula one up for sale this year? Were they going to get bored and go somewhere else? Um, Trish and the boy said no. Um, I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, oh, wait, wait, there, there's, there's breaking news. There's no, actually there's not. <laughs> <laughs> So, in a nutshell, and, and, and I, could, I could tell right now that in a nutshell, I lost. Okay. <laughs> Pretty so, badly, I lost. The accountants at Pricewaterhouse <laughs> have tallied the results. Did you make sure they brought the right envelope? Yes, we have the proper are, are, are envelope. Are we sure? <laughs> we, we are because otherwise, they're probably going to declare that one of the cats won. <laughs> yes. No, we have the exact right envelope. We are, we are here. Now, I need to tell you, out of a possibility of 16 points. Mm-hmm. With, I, got, I got two because you, you gave me a double <laughs> points race. I got a double Dobby. With nine out of 16 possible, I win. Okay. You successfully have gotten second place. No way. With six out of ten out of sixteen, meaning that you got six correct and ten wrong. Yep. Five correct. Um five correct because he got two points on one. But still, he got six of the possible 
16 points. You, you, my boy, are in a distant third. Well, maybe next time you shouldn't lecture me about being different. Well, you... No, let's go back to New Jersey. (laughs) New Jersey. You lost it on New Jersey. Someday it will. It will happen someday. So you got a whopping four points correct. But not only did I was the only one that had more right than wrong, I also only had two questions that I was the sole wrong answer on. Oh, wow. I am These just... are the statistics we're getting. We're getting the advanced data analysis here. <laughs> only because this is the first time I've ever won the predictions game. Yeah, probably. I, yeah. We had the boy who won. I think he did win one of the years. years. That was pretty bad. But But, yeah. yeah. Um, But yes, I I have won the predictions game. Now I came in fourth place on the fantasy GP and I think the boy beat me. But yeah. Now. And and Phil is defending champion yet again. Of those that we know. He is working on a Lewis Hamilton record. Well, of the ones that we actually know, because there's two people that came into our uh, True. That we have never met and they've never reached out to us. So I'm hard pressed to know exactly who they are. But um, then there was Phil, and then I think it's me, and then the boy, and then you way down. Yeah. Well, Jim was behind me. Yes. So we'll, we'll recap those in our next show, which will not be next week. Yeah. And um, Agro's in there somewhere, too. No, he did not do this year. I thought he did this year. He did not. He, he he passed on this year. Okay. Um, we'll go over those not next week, but the week after, because we will be on the road next week, uh, headed to Ohio. Yes. Because we got to drive through Indiana yet again. Hey, wasn't my decision. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I won the predictions. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Phew.